This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yes, good, thank you. Both had a, a busy couple of days, myself with Grimsby, and you were covering the big breaking story in England of Manchester United sacking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Busy few days? Oh, it's been a whirlwind, my friend. Glad to have got a day off tomorrow, I can tell you. It's been a, been a crazy 48 hours or so. And we're talking about a much better topic in the Championship, of course. So looking forward to getting through um, a slightly reduced slate for us this week because there was um, five draws. I don't think there's ever been five draws since we we came into ours. So we've got seven games we're going to go through. We will lightly touch on the draws as well, but seven games we're going to break down in depth over the next hour or so for you guys. As always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from um, in your podcast app of choice. And make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. And as I say, on today's pod, as always, we're going to be breaking down all the key talking points from the Championship weekend. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And there's no better place to start the weekend action than at Pride Park, where on Sunday, bottom beat top as Derby County won 3-2 against Bournemouth to move on to zero points for the season. That's one of the weirdest lines I've ever uh, have written out. So Derby now level on points um, out of the minuses after, of course, losing 21 for breaking financial fair play regulations and administration. And Derby failed to win a single game from behind last season. They got a point in sort of a couple of games, but they never won. And to do so this season against the league leaders, when you consider everything that's gone off, gone on off the pitch, that really says something about the fight and character in that dressing room. I mean, there's so much over overperforming expectations. It's quite silly to be quite honest, because I think a lot of people, including ourselves, we obviously had consigned them to relegation before a ball had even been kicked. Before any possibility of a points deduction, we all said they were finishing rock bottom, and rightly so because the summer was a mess. No recruitment, working under a transfer embargo, centre half pairing of Curtis Davis and Phil Jagielka, which no disrespect, they're about combined age of seventy four or whatever. So, understandable scepticism going into the season. The fact that they are on zero points after losing 21 is a testament to, to the way that Wayne Rooney is overperforming. He's blooded the youngsters as well. Um, Festi Ebersole, the latest to come through. He's played a few games this season, again, impressing at right back. Liam Thompson, given his first start at the weekend at the age of 19 against the league leaders. And it was a superb comeback victory. Got to say, um, massive, massive credit to Tom Lawrence. He was obviously the match winner and the star man with a sublime equaliser to make it 2-2. Um, and then, of course, netting the penalty um, after pretty poor defending from Bournemouth, which we'll come on to. But for Derby, um, the way that Rooney is blooding the youngsters... I, I, do you know what I like about Rooney as well? There doesn't seem to be any ego there in the sense of you don't feel that it's all about him and any suggestion where the media, us, us media hacks as we do, try and would shift the narrative away a bit from Derby and more about Rooney. He, 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 you know, he blocks all that. He, you know, he's very concentrated on Derby. You don't sense that he's aware of the media interest in him and around him. Obviously, of course, he is his England and Manchester United's top goalscorer. But you understand what I'm saying? When, when Frank Lampard was in charge, I feel like he played up to the Frank Lampard's Derby County a little bit more, for example. Any suggestion of Wayne Rooney's Derby County, I feel like Wayne Rooney shuts that down very quickly, wants to talk about Derby, concentrated on the club. And let's be fair, he could have walked away a long time ago and you couldn't have blamed him with the, the absolute mess that's been off the pitch. But he's done a really good job of galvanising this group, getting the most out of a very limited squad in terms of the preparation they had. Um, even even the players, to be honest, it's not a great squad, is it, bar some individuals. It's an older squad and then they've just chucking the youngsters in at the deep end. And we know how good the Derby County Academy is. It's produced Louis Sibley, Max Bird, Will Hughes before that, Jeff Hendrick as well. And he's utilising that to his advantage. And Derby, look, there's a, there's a weirdly good feeling around the place for a club that's going to get relegated and is on zero points after 18 games. Yeah, I think I would agree with every single bit of that assessment there. I mean, 
firstly on the youngsters breaking through, it has always been quite often in the last few years the Derby mantra, hasn't it, with the players that have come onto the scene and, and progressed and gone on to bigger and better things. Will Hughes, Jeff Hendrick, prime examples of that. But I think, as you say, there is a sense of positivity around the place. It's it's very, very bizarre for the situation that they're in. Um, bearing a miracle, they, they are going to go down to the third tier of English football. But like you've said, it's it's quite bizarre because they've had 21 points docked and they've managed to get back to zero before the halfway mark of the season. Obviously, the points deduction is done with now. That is it. They've reached the maximum. Of, it's done. It's dealt with. They've now just got to focus on the, the task in hand and see if they can produce one of football's miracles. But let's be honest, if you looked at it, without that points deduction and for the squad that Wayne Rooney's had to work with, Derby had about 16th in the table. That'd be very good going for what he had to deal with in the summer and the squad that he's got at his disposal at the minute. But I think one of the statistics that stands out for me more than anything, I don't know if you've looked at this, Elliot, but they've lost five games this season. Their biggest defeat has been 2-0. That is their I think biggest the goals defeat. conceded column is, is the it's, biggest testament to what Rooney's done, they've, really. They've, they've, especially from not, someone that was obviously such a natural goal scorer. If they were scoring exactly. free-flowing, we'd understand it a bit more, but clearly they've, he's doing something right defensively. It, it's unbelievable. They've not conceded more than two in a game at all. Their biggest defeat is a 2-0 defeat to Birmingham. The other four defeats have been by one goal. And that is testament to what Wayne Rooney's been able to do with a very, very limited resource. And you've got to give him credit for that. You really have. Um, but as for the victory against Bournemouth on Sunday, I mean, coupon buster is the words that spring to mind. It was a, it was a real shock. I didn't see it coming at all, especially when Bournemouth led 2-1 at, uh, at half-time. So, great credit to Derby. It's a brilliant comeback victory for them. It's now two two games unbeaten. It's only it's only now two defeats in eight games. That's not bad going for the for the situation they're in. So, But it was, fact, I think it was nine no wins in six played. before they played. So, it was just it was. getting some turning it those was. draws it, into wins it, and, and their position, is, that's, that's so important. When they've been written off as literally going to be battered every week with the way the squad was at the start of the season. I think realistically they can be quite pleased with how things are going. I mean, take away the points. Mid-table form, isn't it? It's mid-table form. Take the points deduction away and just think about the squad that Wayne Rooney had to work with. If that points deduction wasn't there, Derby fans would probably be more than satisfied for what that team has done. I think the players of Wayne Rooney deserve huge amounts of credit for what they've achieved, like you say. So, I mean, unless... We do see a true football miracle. They are going to be relegated. It's going to take an almighty effort to claw that gap back. But at the minute, I mean, there's nothing to say that it's not doable. Nothing's impossible in football, but it is unlikely. But, I mean, they're, they're not playing badly. That's the thing. They're, they're getting results on the board, albeit a lot of them have been in, in ones rather than in threes. But if you can beat a side like Bournemouth, who have, we know have been on a remarkable run at the start of this season then it proves that Derby County are capable of doing anything this season they can they can cause a bit of a stir and make things happen but going back to your point as well about Wayne Rooney and kind of shifting the limelight away from himself I totally agree with that I think for a manager of obviously for Wayne Rooney's stature as a player you don't really tend to see hear a lot about of what he's doing and what he wants and his demands whereas Frank Lampard like you say kind of made it a little bit about him even though obviously it was totally different scenarios and situations but I mean looking at Derby's upcoming games they've got Fulham away on Wednesday night and they've got QPR at home next Monday then they go to Bristol City then Blackpool at home and then Cardiff away so it's a real mixed bag of upcoming fixtures the Fulham one obviously is going to be the, the hardest of the lot but then you look at the games against Bristol City away where they're struggling at home Cardiff away albeit they're beginning to turn the screw a little bit Anything can happen, as proven by that result on Sunday. So for Derby, yeah, it's it's not looking promising in terms of survival, but in terms of their form right now and the way they're going about things, I don't think the fans could ask for more from those on the pitch because the off-field situations are not, are not their doing. It's not their fault. So the Derby players and Wayne Rooney ultimately ha- are fulfilling the objective that they set out at the start of the season. They've lost five games for a squad that's... Literally, only a few months ago, was in complete tatters. So, to be, I've only lost five games, not a million miles away from the halfway mark, and only <laughs> your biggest defeat be 2 0. That's testament to what Wayne Rooney's done. So, yeah, the situation on paper doesn't look great, but on the pitch, 
think things could be a hell of a lot worse. I think Wayne Rooney deserves a lot of credit for what he's done in the last few weeks. Yeah, I've crunched a few numbers about where what sort of form they would need to produce. And to match last season's tally of 44, which kept them up, um, which in most seasons probably wouldn't actually, if we're being honest, they'd need 1.69 points per game, which works out at 78 points across the season. So you're looking at playoff form. They would need playoff form just to get to last season's points tally, which probably wouldn't be enough this season. Maybe it would. That's still very unlikely. So they are going down. Let's make no bones about that. But they're going down with, with the right attitude and, and with a fight. Absolutely. From a Bournemouth point of view, um, surprisingly porous at the back, which is obviously something we, do, we don't come to see from them. Without Lloyd Kelly, um, it was Chris Meppham alongside Gary Kale at centre-back and a first away defeat of the season. I have to say it was very poor defending from Jack Stacey um, for the penalty which Tom Lawrence converted to win. Um, got the wrong side of his man, brought him down, and that was a penalty. Um, reading some of the reports from from the Bournemouth media, seems like they've dropped off a little bit in terms of just their general um, energy levels within games, which obviously can happen when you've been on such a big run and giving such and expending such energy. So we'll see how they go in the coming weeks. Um, Huddersfield Town won at West Brom nil. This was a game I was at covering for Yorkshire Live with Grimsby in action on Friday night. Um, and Huddersfield, good value for their victory in all truth. Um, they pressed West Brom very hard from the first minute. And I have to say, I thought the West Brom defence looked awful. It looked like absolute suicide playing a line that high with no defender that had any pace. Kipre, um, Bartley and Matt Clark made up the back three. No Semi Ajayi, who we know is very fast, for example. And they just looked like they could be got at, at every opportunity. And Huddersfield pressed them high. They continued to try and use Sorba Thomas's pace down the right. Even Danny Ward had got the pace um, on those three defenders in terms of the counter-attack. And it worked at Barnsley, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's quite got the personnel, perhaps, or certainly not the personnel he picked on Saturday to make it work. Um, Taylor Hickman-Gardner came into the back line. He played Danny Ward on side for the, for the opener. Um, which was a lovely ball from Scott High into Danny Ward, squared it across for Daniel Sanani. That was 1-0, and that was um, eventually the, the match-winning goal. I have to say, really, really impressed with Scott High and Lewis O'Brien in midfield. Scott High in particular coming in for the injured Jonathan Hogg, who's going to miss the next six weeks of action with a knee injury. Hogg had only missed previously two games all season, so he's integral to this Huddersfield team as the captain as well. Scott High coming in. And against Jake Livermore and Alex Mowat back into the team, um, they dominated. They were more energetic. They got more um, energy. They're more pressing. They were just a better combination. And, and they were probably a pretty perfect combination for a Valerie and Ismail side, if I'm being completely honest, which is quite ironic. Uh, Livermore and Mowat not really at the races. Jake Livermore sent off on about the 75th minute. I have to say, I don't think it was a red card. I have seen a replay since. I'm not sure that's a red card person. I think a yellow when you move on. Um, it's a high foot, but he's not... I, you can argue he's endangered the opponent, but I just don't think there was that much force in it, having seen it live and then seen the replay. So for me, it was a yellow card. Um, and Huddersfield, six wins out of nine at home this season. They only won eight out of 23 all of last season. So the John Smith Stadium and their form there has been the big difference this season, George, sitting just outside the playoffs now. Yeah, I think they've been, for me, one of the surprise packages of the campaign so far. There's no doubt about that because I was a, I was a little bit concerned about Huddersfield going into the start of the season, thinking about how things were... I think were everyone was. I think, I think Huddersfield Town they, fans were very concerned about the squad as how well. how their transfer business had been. It wasn't particularly anything inspiring, in my opinion. It was very underwhelming, I thought, but they've proved me wrong so far. Carlos Corbran, as I always said when he got the job, was going to need time to implement his style and get his ideas across and... Seemingly now, he, he is getting that opportunity and it's paying off. I mean, they are, like you say, making the John Smiths a little bit of a fortress this season. And to be one point outside the playoff places at almost the, the halfway mark of the season is is very, very good going for Huddersfield Town, considering what they've, what they've done in the last few seasons. But as for the game on Saturday itself, I mean, myself and you both tipped it for our shock and our shocks and bankers. And and we obviously had a bit of a hunch that that was going to happen and it possibly was that home form that, that made us go for that. But the thing with Huddersfield is that when you when you look at their overall things themselves and very similar to Derby, they've not really been, when they've lost this season, they've not really been thrashed aside from the defeat to, to Fulham. And 
a three nil defeat at Bournemouth, which obviously is 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 nothing to be too ashamed of with the way those two have, have been playing. So you can't really hammer Huddersfield too much for that. But even when they have been losing to the other sides, it's only been by the odd goal. So they've been in games this season. And that's the thing. You've got to be in the games and they've got the ability to turn it on at the same time. I mean, they put four past Reading, they put three past Blackpool away from home, which looking back now is a very good result with how Blackpool have been going. So Carlos Corbrand deserves a lot of credit. He, he nailed his tactics at the weekend. He got it bang on the money. Uh, and inspired a really, really good win against a West Brom side that, at the minute, are, are stuttering a little bit, especially away from home. Four defeats in a row now on the road for, for West Brom. And you were saying about Valerie Nismail, obviously, he went with a similar style at Barnsley last year with the, the high press and things like that. I think, for me, he could get away with it a little bit more at Barnsley than West Brom because there wasn't as much pressure on him there as there is now. He, he knows this season he's he's got the objective of getting promotion. So, he's got to find a way to to get things right again. They've only won one of their last four games now, and that was against Hull City by one goal. So they're not even firing on all cylinders like they were at the start of the season because at the start of the campaign, they were scoring goals left, right and centre. They were a joy to watch and things were looking very, very rosy indeed. But all of a sudden, they've lost four of their last eight games. They're, they're, they're struggling a little bit. They're losing ground in the race for the top two. And Valerie Nisbell at the minute, He's, he's got a, he's got the task of trying to find a solution to put things right because they're eight points adrift now, the top two, and all of a sudden that three-horse race has suddenly become a two-horse race with essentially already looking like it could be game over if, in case things don't change drastically. But there's a long way to go. There's a lot of football to be played still. We know what a good manager he is, but I think with the expectation and the objective he's got, he's got to, he's got to find a solution pretty quickly to get things moving in the right direction again. Yeah, just on Huddersfield, um, the biggest difference for me is the defence. Obviously, they conceded the most goals in the yeah. league last season. And now they are at a stage where they can take the lead and go, all right, we're going to sit in and, and we're going to counter-attack here. And we, we have the, the quality and the concentration levels to keep a clean sheet. And obviously, there's been huge changes to the defence, and that's why. Looking at the weekend, new goalkeeper, um, Matty Pearson was immense he's been a really great summer signing for them Naby Sal was there last year but generally speaking Tom Lees has played, Tom Lees was ill um, Levi Colwell's been f- fantastic again another loan signing and then you're looking at usually it's been Sober Thomas but it was Harry uh, Ollie Turton at right wing back who wasn't there last year either and then Harry Toffler was their best player and was out for a fair chunk of last season so it's a brand new defence and you can tell there's a real difference and a step up in class and that's been the big difference with Huddersfield for me this season. On West Brom, um, four away defeats in a row now for them. They had a lot of territory and a lot of possession before the red card. They just didn't create anything. Outside of their biggest threat was set pieces. Um, and they just didn't create a lot outside of that. And Lee Nichols wasn't overly worked. Their best chances were all off target. Carl uh, Bartley dragged one wide. Uh, Matt Clark should have scored with a header that he put wide as well. And... I look at someone like Carlin Grant, who's been in really good goal-scoring form this season, or certainly of late. He's too far away from goal. They're playing 3-4-3. Matt Phillips is playing up front, and Grant's on the left, which is a different debate entirely, but Grant's played on the left all season. And he's playing. He's not even in the in the 18-yard box when the ball's coming across from the opposite side. He's, he's, he's really deep, and he's a goal-scorer. You paid £15 million for him because he scored goals. He's not going to do it as a natural winger. And I don't think that's tactics from Ismail particularly. That would be, but but as the manager, I'd be grabbing all the Colin Grant in half time saying, why aren't you in the box? Get in the box. That's where you're going to do your damage. And that that was a big one for me. Um, Ismail didn't think they deserved to lose. I, I don't think they could have any complaints. I would put it that way. If they grabbed an equaliser, you probably wouldn't have said that they didn't deserve it either. But certainly one to watch because it d- does seem like there's a growing discontent at the Hawthorns, despite them being sat third in the table between the fans and Ismail because of the style of play. And it's going to be an interesting one to see how that develops. Fulham 4, Barnsley 1. Um, the only team in the top three to win this weekend were the Cottagers. And they move top of the Championship now. They are our new league leaders. Um, a few players coming back for Fulham. Um, Carvalho back in the team and central to their good play. Tete in at right back um, after coming back from injury. And I have to say Michael Hector's had a bit of a resurgence as well. After coming in for, for Adarabayo, who was suspended a few weeks ago and he's kept his place since. Um, and it was Mitrovic heading in from a Tete cross to, to give them the, the opener. And Fulham just oozed class at home, in particular the top goal scorers in the league. 
um, by a distance as well. The second highest scorers in the league after Fulham and Bournemouth, and they've cons- they've scored 15 less goals than uh, Fulham. So they are streets ahead of anyone else. And obviously that is mainly down to Mr. Alexander Mitrovic, who's scored 21 goals now in 18 games. And they've got so much class. I mean, Tom Kearney and Harrison Reed was the central midfield preparing. Uh, Bobby Reed didn't even get off the bench. They could bring Seri on, who played a delightful pass for Harry Wilson to add the fourth. And it was comfortable for Fulham, as it, as you would expect it to be. And Carvalho coming back in was, was a bit of a spark. And he's been really impressive. And I think for me, it's quite easy for a young player to come into a winning team than a losing team, for example, and score goals. But I think the biggest testament we can pay to Carvalho is Fulham noticeably dropped off during the period that he was out injured. And that shows that it's not just him coming in and, you know, benefiting from how the team are playing. He's dictating that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, more often than not, it's it's Alexander Mitrovic, isn't it, that we're often waxing lyrical about and talking about more than anyone else in that Fulham side. But when you go through the team and especially the, the midfield and attacking areas, the quality they've got is just, it's unbelievable for this level. And, it's a shame because we Fulham a bit like Norwich. They seem to be too good for this level. They're not quite at it for the Premier League. But at the moment, they, they are looking a very, very good team and they're proving a joy to watch, scoring a lot of goals, creating a lot of chances. And not only that, obviously, we, we, we talk about Mitrovic, the amount of goals he's getting. But now I've noticed, and certainly in the last few weeks, since since probably the 7-0 win at Blackburn, more and more players are chipping in with those goals. Nathan Cabano has been in really, really good form of late, creating goals and scoring them. Harry Wilson's putting himself about now a lot more than he was earlier on in the season. Carvalho, as you say, chipping in. Kearney will be pulling the strings behind. So Marco Silva's got so much quality and abundance throughout that team. They Just looking at their home record this season so far, 23 goals plundered in nine games, won seven of those. Joint most points claimed at home this season, along with Coventry now. So they are making their home ground a fortress, which is what you need to do to to earn promotion and at the minute Fulham are looking like they're going to be impossible to stop it's it's ridiculous that the run that they've been on it's now seven league wins in a row eight league wins in nine and considering that they they took that battering in early October at Coventry where we all thought how are they going to react to that because we don't really expect that this Fulham side to get a battering like that with the squad that they've got they've bounced back in remarkable fashion I mean since that 4-1 defeat to uh, to Coventry They've scored four or more goals on four occasions in seven games. It's ridiculous. Oof. It really is ridiculous. That I think Peterborough United could be quite honoured to say they only conceded one against them. That's the mm. least in uh, like the best defence against them in the last eight games. So credit to them. But I think when you've got that amount of talent, you you should be you should be winning games in this league. And Fulham are doing that. There is an expectancy on them this season. But for me, they're, they're just cruising at the minute. They are absolutely cruising. 48 goals scored already. It's quite easily possible that they are going to smash the 100 barrier this season, without a doubt. They still, I mean, 52 away. Mitrovic might get all 100. Mitrovic could he get 50. He's, he's actually on target for 50 goals, so he'll get off. Well, I'm not so sure, mate. I mean, he's losing his pedigree. It's only three goals in three games now. That's bad for him. No, he's, he's not scored slacking. a hat-trick for a while. He is slacking. I mean, it's not good enough, is it? But let's be honest, it's it's just ridiculous. They're proving a joy to watch. They're entertaining. But at the same time, they, with respect, they, they should be comfortably beating a side like Barnsley at home. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. That is what they should be doing. And they are doing it, so credit them for that. But at the same time, they are the games they should be winning. But they, they steamroll West Brom with ease. They beat a good Swansea side with ease. They crushed Birmingham away. They crushed Forrest away of being in good form under Steve Cooper. They obviously destroyed Blackburn. So they're capable of doing a little bit of everything to anybody. And let, let's be honest, it's already looking impossible that they're not going to be promoted this season because they are just proving a joy to watch, scoring goals in abundance, not conceding that many goals. That was the first goal they conceded, by the way, against Barnsley since the 16th of October. So that proves just how good they are in both boxes, really. So... Credit to them. I think Marco Silva, for me, is defying the odds because I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work out when he got the job in the summer, as we said, back in August. But so far, it's looking like a match made in heaven and long may it continue because at the minute, they're looking impossible to stop. Could that record that Aston Villa set 
in terms of 10 championship wins go. Quite possible. Mm. Poya Asbagi uh, is in at Barnsley. I think I've done that. I pronounced that right. It's my best effort. Don't ask me. Um, he <laughs> takes training today quite interestingly. Um, so although it was installed on Wednesday last week, didn't uh, take charge of the game. Watch from the stands, although he clearly picked the team because they made seven changes and moved away from the back three to a 4-2-3-1, which they haven't done um, since before Ismail they played a back three. So clearly some influence in that way, but he officially takes charge today on Monday um, and his first game will be in midweek. Hull City 2, some big wins at the bottom, which we're going to go on to now. Hull City 2, Birmingham nil the first of those. Back-to-back wins for the Tigers for the first time since New Year's Day 2020, which was against Sheffield Wednesday. Back-to-back wins in the Championship, I should say. Obviously, they won the league in uh, in League One last year. But in the Championship, first time they've strung together two wins um, in the best part of 19 months um, and a bit more. So, really good for them. Controversy, of course, was all around the opening goal for George Honeyman. Uh, Ryan Longman cr- t- appeared to dribble the ball out of play. Lebo, you're very not happy about it. The play's just stopped. Appeared um, to dribble it out of play. Okay, appeared. he dribbled it out of play. It, was it wasn't joke, that clear, mate. I don't think, that you can be that oh, upset. About. I'd be more annoyed that my players didn't react. I'm not saying it was in, because it, it did go out. I'm not <laughs> arguing that. But you've got to remember, only a tiny bit of the ball needs to be in for it to be in. So I think for your players to just stop in the manner they did would disappoint me more, perhaps, as a as a manager. Um, but, it, but it did go out. But a big win for Hull. Um, I just want to do a little bit on uh, Nathan Baxter, who's come into the team, replacing Max Ingram in, uh, Matt Ingram sorry, in goal um, for the last three games. I have to say, Matt Ingram's a really weird one where I don't think he's very good. And every time I've watched him on the highlights, I think he's been at fault for Hull goals. But Hull fans seem to have really liked him, which I found weird. I've just, he's, I think he's been pulling off good saves that haven't made highlights and packages that we, we've seen. But we see him make the mistake, so maybe it's a bit of that. But Grant McCann clearly had had enough. He dropped him three games ago, and since then, they conceded one at Luton when they lost, and then two clean sheets in the wins that they've just had um, against Barnsley and against Birmingham. And he made a really, really important save in this one at 1-0 from Scott Hogan to keep him out. Um, and he's been really, really impressive, and that's been a big part of why Hull have not concede as many goals for me. And I think that was the right decision from Grant McCann. So a bit of credit for him there from me. Also, what was Gary Gardner doing? Just complete loss of discipline to get sent off. And from there, Hull, Hull created the better chances, got the second goal through Malik Wilkson. A big win for them to move them out of the bottom three. Huge victory. Huge, huge, huge victory. I mean, after that win at Barnsley, you could have argued straight away that the international break came at the wrong time for them. But clearly they've... They've just kicked on from that result. Yeah, they've had a helping hand for the first goal, but they had to get into that position to carve the chance, and and they did. Yeah, it shouldn't have stood, but it has. It's it's done with now. But you do get the feeling that they are beginning slowly but surely just to turn the screw that little bit. I mean, when you look at their recent results, they got narrowly edged out one nil at West Brom. Not in the grand scheme of things, not a bad result really, considering the way West Brom had been going at home up until that point. So I don't think you can argue. I mean, the fact that they've conceded just one goal in three games, that's an improvement in itself. Six points from out of a possible nine in the last three. So things are heading in the right direction and Grant McCann's got to take credit for that. We've we've been very critical of him, so it's only fair that he gets the gets the plaudits when, when things aren't going well. So You've got you've got to give Grant McCann that and his players obviously because they they were very very good at Barnsley prior to the break, uh, getting that two 0 win, and then they followed it up with another one, another goal for George Honeyman. That's two and two for him now. Um, Malik Wilson. He's been a big miss. Play. He's 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 missed a few games. Nice. He was their player of the year last year. He's he's had injuries. They've not been able to keep good him player. and Doherty fit at the same time, and I think that's been a problem. And we're seeing his influence, as you said, with two goals and two exactly. important wins. He, He's a key player, and let's not forget as well, he got the assist as well for the second goal at Barnsley. That too should be said. So it proved that he's he, he is banging form right now with his last couple of games. So huge boost having him back available. Uh, and obviously with the ongoing the ongoing situation with the takeover noise in the background and things like that, it's, it's only going to boost the mood around the club. And Hull City's fans, obviously, at championship level in the last few years, about to put up with a lot of disappointment, a lot of bad results. Obviously, last season they couldn't enjoy the League One title, Bush being obviously locked out of the grounds. So they 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 need something to cheer about and smile about on a Saturday afternoon. They're finally getting that in the last couple of weeks. So 
Really pleased for them. They deserve victory at the weekend, albeit by a, a very dodgy goal for the first one. So onwards and upwards for Hull. But they've got a very difficult game coming up on Wednesday night. Cardiff away. They're beginning to turn the screw, as we're going we're gonna to touch on shortly. So that won't be an easy one for Hull City, but it's certainly one that they'll feel a, a lot more confident going into than they did a few weeks ago. There's no doubt about that. So you've got to give them credit. I mean, they've, they've had so much bad luck in some senses, the way that they've had injuries and things like that, and results not quite gone their way. So they deserve this, but looking forward, they've got Millwall at home on Saturday, then a trip to Reading, Bristol City at home. So they've got games that are winnable. They're opportunities to just pull, open up a little bit of a gap move from the bottom three and keep the pressure off. But uh, finally, for Hull City's fans, something to smile about at long last. Lovely segue, because without knowing that, we're now going to go talk about Cardiff, which I got on my list, which you didn't well, know. So very, that. very good intuition, that George. Uh, Preston one, Cardiff City two. Very much the uh, the cliche game of two halves. This one, Preston dominant in the first, and then Cardiff came roaring back in the second. And it's another big tick on uh, Steve Morrison's checklist um, as a manager. I do have to say, I think he got things wrong from the start because he started with a front three of um, Colwell. Um, Chanka Zimba and Isaac Davies. Now, obviously, we know he was the youth team coach at Cardiff, knows how talented the young, these young players are, and as a podcast that likes seeing youth promoted, that's great. Throwing them in all at the same time, albeit Colwell's played fairly regularly already under Mick McCarthy, didn't work. Um, James Collins came on at half-time, and then they had a focal point, and then these young players started to flourish. It was Zimba that went off, but Davies and Colwell remained. And they started to have a focal point. And then from that point onwards, they they, they dominated the second half. Uh, Will Vaults hit a post before Mark McGuinness equalised. And then James Collins got the winner, which I think was the first goal in 18 games for him, to be fair. So you can understand why Morrison went with the younger players. But I think Collins probably, when he saw that team sheet, was probably a bit naffed off and felt he had a point to prove. So for him to get the winner and have such a, a transformative impact, um, does his, you know, it, it's good all round for, for both player and manager. So... Big win for Cardiff to come from behind. Back-to-back 2-1 victories as well. Both coming from behind, in fact. So good spirit and character showed there. And nice to see the young players getting a chance, albeit probably need uh, easing in a little bit um, more gradually than throwing all three in a front three um, that early on away at Preston. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've mentioned there, obviously, about Cardiff coming back in the last two games to to get a victory. And let's not forget, they came up from 3-0 down to get a point at Stoke as well. So they've... They've claimed seven points from losing positions in, in four games under Steve Morrison. So you take out the uh, the defeat to QPR, that narrow 1-0, excuse me, that one narrow 1-0 defeat. He, he's had a very good start. And yeah, you, you can talk about the honeymoon period and things like that. But the, 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 the fact is, he's turning things around quickly. You, you Doing it with the youth about... as well, which is what we like to see. And especially exactly. when... If you remember what I spoke about a couple of weeks ago with Cardiff's list, the lack of budget, the players out of contract, they're going to have to supplement those players somehow. So maybe this is the best way to do it with the academy. Quite possibly. There is some promising talent coming up through the ranks at Cardiff and that was proven by the the starting eleven at the weekend. But I think on Steve Morrison, obviously we, we spoke, didn't we, last week saying is it a little bit uninspiring? But when you think about it, so far, yeah, it's early days, but he's taken seven points from four games. You've got to give him credit for that. You can't you can't turn around and say, well, it's, it's that bounce. He's done it. The simple fact is he has taken seven points. So you've got to give him credit for that. So fair play to Steve Morrison. Uh, and just want to touch on as well, James Collins, you mentioned him. It's been a, it's been a struggle for him so far this season. It really has because he's, he's been a, he's been a natural goal scorer for the, for several years. I think, I seem to think we did a did a stat in a tweet over the summer saying that he'd reached double figures for ten seasons in a row, uh, and when you've done that, when you've achieved that, to to not really be playing as he knew that was going like. to be the case though when he went to Cardiff because ultimately Kiefer Moore was always going to be top yeah, dog unless he got sold, and even if he got sold, someone else was going to come in. Yeah, but surely though, when they were in that form that they were in, surely they should have given him a chance and tried something different. But it is what it is. He's not had a lot of opportunity in terms of regular minutes, but he came off the bench on Saturday and made his mark and did the the job and and did what Steve Morrison sent him on to do. So he'll be hoping now that he can nail down a place in the team and and kick on and prove to be a key figure moving forward. But 
obviously Cardiff have, have obviously been on that dreadful, dreadful run, which is highly unlikely they're going to encounter one like that again. They're going to, they're probably going to lose two or three, three or four, whatever, but they're not going to experience something like that again. So they are showing signs of life. They are going to, they are going to improve. I've no doubt about that. It's impossible for them to get any worse, you would think. So really pleased for Steve Morrison because he, he had a really good playing career and deserves a chance as a manager. And so far, he, he's proven that he's up to the task. Seven points from, from four games or from losing position. So it shows that he's got fight and belief in the squad. It's important to point out that they've they've not been completely dejected and had all the life sucked out of after such a torrid run. They're still clearly up for the battle and, and willing to run and fight for the fans and the badge. So that's good to see. A very good win at the weekend, a solid away victory. And now looking forward, they've obviously got that home game with Hull on uh, on Wednesday night, which could go either way. But it's it's a game that they will they will be looking to win at home. And for Cardiff now, it's all about building potentially for the future through the youth, like you say. They've got a lot of promising individuals coming through. They've got to sort the contract situation of a few out. So for Steve Morrison now, they've, they've got to decide, is he going to be the man to build a long-term vision? Is it a short-term plan like it initially was under Mick McCarthy? But I don't know. It's going to be an interesting one to watch for Steve Morrison. I mean, we always say, don't we, that when you've been on a bad run, a really bad run, you probably need somebody with experience to change things around. But like I always say, every manager has got to start somewhere. And for Steve Morrison, he's he's made a very steady start to his senior managerial career. So fair play to him. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that. Good start for him. Interesting at Preston, of course. It just feels like a club with a lot of negative energy and doom and gloom. And when you look at the table, the, you know, the 16th, but you still feel like they're more likely to get dragged downwards than upwards. And even though the form's not horrific... The fans just seem uninspired and it still feels like um, the the energy around the club is, is only going one way. But the results, and even like when we look at the underlying numbers, they're not, they're not particularly horrific. They're about where they should be in the table. So it's a weird energy around Preston at the moment. I can understand where Preston fans are coming from. Seems to be a lot of apathy around the club and around Frankie McAvoy. Obviously, the chairman's just died as well. They've got some big players out of contract as well, like Tom Barkhausen in the summer. So interesting to see how they, they keep going and results like this are, isn't going to help for the mood around Deepdale, that's for sure. Stoke City 2, Peterborough 0. Um, Stoke very clinical in this one, but arguably from the reports I've, I've read from reliable people, um, Peterborough, the better team really, or, or certainly matched Stoke for, for large portions of it. Didn't have that quality in the final third, of course, and then Stoke with a, a deflective Vrancic strike to put them ahead, and then a the most Tyrese Campbell goal you're ever going to see. Great to see him back. Goes one way, jinx the other. Defender thinks he's going to come on his favoured left foot and he smashes it with his right foot into the back of the net. And that was that was a really great sight to see a young player coming back from his ACL injury and scoring a really good goal that, that looked like he'd never been away really. Because you do, you do worry when players that are quick in particular suffer knee injuries at young ages that are oh, they going to lose that half a yard of pace. Well, he certainly didn't look like it on that instance and great to have him back playing. But uh, for Peter, probably leaving this one knowing that a little bit more quality in the final third and they might have got something from this game. Yeah, I have to agree with that. They did give a pretty good account of themselves, Peter, and ultimately Stokes' little bit of fortune with the Vrancic goal and a little moment of class from Campbell told and that was the difference. And I suppose when you're near the bottom of the table those little bits of luck that go against you isn't it it's always been the case and always been the way in life but like you say there, there was there was positives for Darren Ferguson to take from that performance and he'll just be disappointed I think that the goals aren't quite coming as frequently as he would have hoped because I think when we were assessing things at the start of the season we were all saying weren't we that Peterborough were probably out of the three promoting teams going to do the best we didn't expect Blackpool to have the, the, the performance that they've had but but for Peter, I mean, there's been injuries, there's been niggly problems and things like that, but they've just not been quite as prolific as expected from the likes of Clark Harris. Uh, Dembele's shown glimpses, but not been at his best and at full throttle, but obviously there's time for him to change that. So uh, it's just a case of one of those things. But for Stoke, I mean, they're on a roll at the minute. It's three wins in a row. It's another clean sheet. Tyrese Campbell's back, as you say. Obviously been rocked by the loss of Harry Suter. That's a big blow for them. But... Mm. They're proving that they can win without him. That's the main thing. The first couple of week games, they've managed to get wins on the board in his absence. So they are this year for me, they are showing that they've got the ability to dig in 
to, to get games won. That's the big thing in this league. If you win 1-0, 5-0, it all counts for the same. And Stoke have been able to do that. But it's a huge boost having Campbell back now because we know how good a player he is. We know how talented he is. So Especially with Nick Clip, Powell missing as well. They've had such bad luck with injuries, though, really. Have. I mean, you think Suter's missing. Powell's missed a lot of football. Tyrese Campbell obviously had his long-term knee problem. So I was just, they have had a lot of good players rolled out. To say that they've they've been very unfortunate on the injury. It's that intuition again, George. We're connected. It is. That's what it is, mate. But, I mean, let's be honest. That Realistically, Stoke quite easily should be sitting here off the back of four successive wins. They shouldn't have blown the 3-0 lead against Cardiff. But after... Obviously, the, the pain that that will have brought in the dressing room after that to have responded with three successive wins without conceding a goal deserves so no, credit yeah. and, and shows Michael O'Neill that his players are mentally strong. They're up for the fight and obviously have got the belief blowing, uh, flowing through their veins that they, can, that they can achieve something this year. So, still a long way to go, but they're fourth in the table, one point off West Brom. It's, it's looking very, very promising, it must be said. And out of the... Uh, out of the <coughs> four sides in the in the playoff positions at the minute, only West Brom have conceded fewer goals. So, if they can maintain what they're doing and keep things going, they go to Bristol City next. Then got Blackburn at home. Quite easily could win both of those games. They could lose them, of course. It is the Championship, as we all know. But they've got nothing to fear. That's what I'm trying to say at the minute. They've gone to places like Blackpool, gone to Luton in recent weeks, and won without conceding. So, they're going to fancy the chance against anybody at the minute. And finally. Finally, are we going to sit here at the end of the season and think, yeah, this is their year? Because you've been back in the Melliot for the last few years, thinking that I've predicted them to finish in the playoffs for the last three years. So it'd be quite ironic if the one year that I haven't. Well, it wasn't so much. I did fancy them to be in and around it. I just, I just wasn't going to get burnt for a fourth time. So it'd be quite ironic that they'll finish in the top. In other other words, you were a chicken and backed out. I bottled it. If we're being honest, you did. Yes, disgrace. Fry, fry spitten. Um, twice as shy. That's the new oh, phrase. So, yeah, uh, yeah I didn't fancy getting bit but no, again. But, but we'll see. ultimately, Stoke ticking along very nicely. Michael O'Neill doing a good job, solid job. And like you say, n- nice to see. And are you going to be proven wrong? Time will tell. Indeed. Um, finally, the Friday night game, Queen's Park Rangers 2, Luton Town 0. Um, I feel like this is very simplistic to say, but it really was just a difference in finishing in terms of QPR have got better strikers and better forward players than Luton have, and that was the big difference in general play between both boxes. Not a bunch between the two teams, if I'm being honest. Um, Chris Willock's goal was very good, although I think Simon Sluger made his decision a little bit easy for him by racing out of his goal. Um, not nice finish, nonetheless, from Willock. And then Charlie Austin scoring a goal that Luton haven't scored enough of um, with a good finish. So. They win 2-0. Luton, really good at getting the ball into the final third, but just not got that cutting edge to, to really put them in. They could do with another striker to give Adebayo a little bit of help. And when you look at the fact that these two are top six rivals, I think the fact that QPR have got Austin, Dykes and Andre Gray, I think if Luton had got any one of those three to go alongside Cornick and Adebayo, I think that they would be a much better bet for the playoffs than i probably have them down. I would probably say they're probably just below that standard. But I think it's I think it's definitely fixable if they can get someone in in January just to help find the back of the net a little bit because between both boxes, the play's really good. They clearly have a, a style of play, a manager that knows the players, that the players respond to the manager. There's a clear I- uh, ideology and uh, philosophy there. Just missing that tiny bit of quality in the final third, which I think QPR have got. QPR also helped, I thought, by the fact that they got Lee Wallace back at left wing back. Um, both their left wing backs, him and McCallum, have been injured recently so they've had Chris Willock sometimes playing at left wing back they've sometimes put uh, one of the right wing backs on that side and having that natural balance has helped them definitely so very good for for QPR another good home win um, and it keeps them in the playoff places looting unlucky I thought a little bit with that one um, quite a lot of draws this week George to to rattle through um, probably the most interesting for me was Middlesbrough 1 uh, Millwall 1 a game that, if we're being honest, Middlesbrough should have won. Certainly the XG says that way. And Millwall's goal was very um, fortuitous. Whereas Middlesbrough missed a few chances. Spiral's really coming into his own in terms of form. And I think he's becoming a, a bit of a fan's favourite with the Middlesbrough um, supporters. I've seen a clip on social of this uh, long punt upfield and he sort of flicks in. It's a beautiful flick. Um, and that certainly got them talking. Chris Wilder, we were intrigued to see how he'd line up. Um, he stuck with the back three. 
um, with Johnny Housen sitting just in front and then Crooks and Tavernier as the two number eights. Isaac Jones, fresh from signing a new contract at right wing back um, and then an experienced defensive McNair, Bamba and Peltier with Watmore and Sparrow up front. So interesting to see how that develops. Um, interesting that Dyke Steels was on the bench as he works his way back. Um, and Neil Taylor, of course, signed a contract with the club in uh, in the last few days as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they go along. Unlucky not to win their first game um, under Chris Wilder. Uh, Bristol City won Blackburn one as well. Another draw in the Championship. Um, Swansea won Blackpool one. Superb goal from Joel Perrault, who is quickly becoming one of the signings of the season, especially when you consider the I'm, money that was paid for him. I'm very glad you brought him up. So, I mean, we've we've often waxed lyrical about certain strikers this season, such as Victor Geikerez when he was in the peak of his form at the start of the season, uh, Breris and Diaz, but Joel Piro, I'm sorry, this kid is one to watch. And I say kid, I think he's only 22. He's he so confident with either me, feet. He just, he just the, oozes class. Do you know who he reminds me of a little bit? And this is very complimentary. He reminds me of obviously a, a B-Tech version of Robin Van Persie. God, no, like putting uh, no pressure Obviously on a B-Tech version. Obviously, I'm not saying he's Robin Van Persie, but he's got think, that sort of swagger about the way he finishes and strikes I'm, a ball. Dutch people um, always hit the ball better, don't they? They just they just they know do. how to strike a ball. Van Basten, etc., etc. But no, I think I just want to very, very quickly. I know we don't normally go in depth on draws, but I do want to very quickly touch on Swansea. I mean, I think as a duo, did anyone sign a better duo in attacking sense in the summer than Swansea with Perot and Jamie Patterson for a combined total of around a million pounds for what they got the pair of them for? Ethan led the business to get Ethan led in yeah. this old Connor Roberts as well. I don't think he's ever yeah. going to win a penalty, by the way. He had about three very good shouts for penalties. The, at, yeah, at the, the one in the second half was definitely yeah, a penalty. That was, but that was the penalty, Jamie, yeah. Jamie Patterson, when you break his stats down, six goals, four assists this season. Joel Pirot, I think it's 10 goals and three assists. Those two are striking up a formidable partnership. And considering all the talent that Swansea lost during the summer, I think Russell Martin has has fallen on his feet with those two, I really do. And yet, like like we said with Carlos Corberan, long-term visions do take a little bit of time to implement, but slowly but surely, Swansea building up something. Yep, they've, they've, they've failed to win either of their last two games, got only a point at the weekend against Blackpool, but the signs are there that I feel when it clicks for Swansea, it's going to really click because they look a good side. They've not, they've not had a lot of luck in some senses, certain decisions going against them and things like that. But overall... I think they're definitely onto something. I think the potential is there for Russell Martin to achieve something. Not saying this season, but maybe in the next season, year after, we'll see. But I think considering they lost so much talent over the summer, such as Andre Ayew, Hurahan, Mark Gway, Roberts, the list goes on, and the manager, of course, Steve Cooper, I think they've they've dealt with it reasonably well. And you, you have to credit Russell Martin for that. I think he's gone in there and quickly has, has turned things around and, you know, only five points off the playoffs after 18 games. Long way to go. I wouldn't rule it out. I really wouldn't. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're doing really well. And then uh, Reading won, Forest won. Zinconog with a really good solo goal in that one. And then Sheffield United nil, Coventry nil. Um, a bit of a crap game that I don't really want to talk about, in all honesty. It was, and it that was round, awful. It was sort of the second half and it was diabolical. I caught a little bit of it um, in the press room at Huddersfield. Obviously, watched the back the game back since. Wish I hadn't bothered, to be quite honest. Um, the Blades really struggling just with any sort of incision. Um, to be quite honest, a bit worrying for them at the moment. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To round off this week's pod, as always, we're going to do our shocks and bankers. Now, there is a full slate of Championship action in midweek, but we're going to look ahead to the weekend's fixtures to keep this pod nice and fresh for as long as possible. So, George, your shock and banker for me, please, this weekend. I know, we've got a, a wide range. You can choose one from Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. We've got a right weekend Ooh, in store a Monday this game. week. I've never seen so we, we, we've, we've, And a we've Sunday game. For, I know. This is brilliant. We've now got a game every day except for Thursday for the next week. Oof, things you'd love to Enterta- see. Entertainment in store. Anyway, uh, in terms of a shock and banker for the weekend, I'm going to kick things off with my shock being the Friday night game. I'm going to go for Nottingham Forest to win at West Brom. West Brom's strutting a little bit of late, still unbeaten at home. That run, you would think, has got to come to an end sooner rather than later. Forest ticking along reasonably well. Obviously, 
midweek fixtures, form or confidence could change, things like that. You just can't predict that, obviously. But I'm going to go with Forrest as my shock. In terms of my banker this week, um, only a few places between them in the table, but I fancy Bournemouth to get back on track at home to Coventry. Coventry not being the best away from home, even though they've been terrific overall this season. But as we saw with Bournemouth um, the last time that they lost, losing to Preston, they bounced back in style against Swansea and I fancy them to do the same in this one. So I'm going to go for my shot being Forest this weekend at West Brom, the bank of Bournemouth to beat Coventry at home. There's quite a few shots that I fancy. Um, I agree with you. I, I agree with you on Forest, but I won't go for that because I don't want to be boring. But Forest would be a good shout. I think Bristol City away at Sheffield United is a good shout. And I think Derby at home to QPR on the Monday is a good shout. I'm gonna I go. I knew you were with, gonna go for that. I'm gonna go for Bristol City. I think actually um, to win at Sheffield United because they are pretty dire at the moment, and Bristol City aren't much better. Let's be fair. But Bristol City on the road have been a lot better than Ashton Gate, for example. Oh, I don't know. Do I want Derby? I'm between them two. Now I will. I'll stick with Bristol City, but I am tipping up Derby as well. I think Derby to beat QPR is a, a good shout as well. But I will. I will stick with with Bristol. City. Yeah. So I think Bristol City beat Sheffield United, and then for my banker, I think I'm going to go for. There's not a lot that I fancy as a banker this week. I quite fancy Swansea, but I'm not sure. I could see him drawing again, despite being dominant. I could see him dominating Reading, but drawing. Um, I'm going to go for Peterborough to beat Barnsley, I think. Um, because Peterborough, I think their performance levels have been higher than some of the results of late. They were unlucky at the weekend. And generally, they've been better at London Road, if it's still called London Road, than, um, than away from home, for example. And Barnsley have been pretty dire, even though the new managers come in and obviously might get a bounce in midweek. Um, who are Barnsley playing in midweek? Barnsley are playing Swansea at home. Probably might get turned over. Well, not turned over. They probably won't win that one. So I think Peterborough at home to Barnsley is going to be my banker. Yep. And I'm going to go for my shock as Bristol City to win away at Sheffield United. Um, that rounds off this week's podcast. Thank you to everyone that's listened for the, for the last hour or so and to those that turn up week in, week out to listen to us ramble about the championship. It is much appreciated. And as always, make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed to make sure you're getting our latest episodes as soon as they go live. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChampChatPod242. And if you do enjoy the podcast and would consider dropping a retweet when we when the podcast goes live on Twitter, then much appreciated. We're always looking to, to reach new followers. So if you enjoy the podcast, doing that can go a long way to helping us reach new potential listeners um, and lovers of the championship when you think there's probably tens of thousands of sets of fans per club and we've got 24 of them so um if you do enjoy the pod drop it a retweet and we'd we'd be very grateful as always you can support this podcast as well if you so feel the uh feel the desire to do so through our ko-fi page where you can drop us um the cost of a cup of coffee just to help towards our weekly costs and monthly costs to bring you this regular championship content which we love to do that's all for this week um enjoy the midweek action a full docket of championship football to get your teeth into and we'll be back next Monday to break down what will be no doubt another busy weekend of championship football go well this is the championship chat podcast your home of news views and debate from England's second tier